and welcome to episode 70 of Podiatrics Pediatric Podcasts. Today we're going to be talking about um, clotting problems. So this is the first of two podcasts on pediatric haematology. We're going to go through some cases today and hopefully tease out the kind of bits of uh, pediatric haematology and understanding coagulation disorders that you need to know um, in exams. So question number one, we've got a six-year-old girl who has got a widespread purpuric rash. Uh, she was sent home from school after feeling very unwell and her mum's noticed a widespread rash that doesn't uh, disappear on glass test. On examination, pyrexial, hypotensive and tachycardic are not responding as much as usual, seems very withdrawn. So if this was a best of five or an SPA question, your five options might be A, immune thrombocytopenia, B, uh, non-accidental injury slash trauma, C, Henoch-Shenline purpura, D, formula brand disease, or E, disseminated intravascular coagulation. And looking into this question, what kind of clotting results might we expect if um, we were thinking of likely diagnosis? So given the history of, um, looks like meningococcal disease with possible uh, meningococcal septicemia, we would think option E, which is disseminated intravascular coagulation. And what things on coagulation screen would support that in an exam? Well, very clearly, disseminated intravascular coagulation is when you get a stimulus, so in this case, sepsis, that leads to activation of your intrinsic and extrinsic pathways. You generate a lot of thrombin and you will then deposit fibrin, a fibrin mesh, intravascularly. So what that means is intravascularly you will deposit some fibrin and that will lead to thrombosis. Okay. This thrombosis will lead to tissue ischemia because you're going to narrow the um, cross-sectional area of the blood vessel by depositing fibrin. And the second thing is you will then get this hemolytic anemia, whereas as red cells try and pass through the fibrin mesh, they will become damaged by the process and the shearing forces. You'll also generate a lot of plasmin because you'll activate plasminogen. And this will lead to generation of plasmin when you remove the ogen group and you'll get fibrinolysis. Why is that important? Well, you will then try, if you can, to degrade some of this fibrin that is blocking your vessels. And this will increase your D-dimer. So D-dimer is a measure of fibrin degradation products. So it's basically that fibrinolysis is happening and is a measure that there, there are clots. So there are disseminated or throughout the body intravascular within the blood vessels coagulation. What happens is you have a risk of clot formation early on in DIC, but you can imagine as you uh, use up all of your fibrin, 
plasminogen and clotting factors in the intrinsic and extrinsic pathway is you then have a predisposition to bleeding later on. So how would that be reflected in your tests? So I'm going to use this as the first opportunity to introduce the test that we use in uh, a clotting screen. So if we're talking about disseminated intravascular coagulation, um, your bleeding time, which is a historically used test that sometimes pops up in exams that has been um, largely replaced by a platelet function assay, is a measure of platelet function. So the conditions that you get an increased bleeding time is are things like disseminated intravascular coagulation when um, platelets are damaged when passing through vessels um, and also can be consumed in this process as well with clot formation. You've then got von Willebrand disease is another condition that can increase your bleeding time because von Willebrand factor has two main roles. Number one, um, binding of platelets to the subendothelium is one of the things. Um, and the other thing that von Willebrand factor um, can do is um, stabilize factor eight. So protect factor eight from um, degradation, from proteolytic degradation. So that's the other thing that, um, that can happen. So that's another condition where you can get an increase in bleeding time. The third one explains itself, thrombocytopenia. If you have low platelet count, your bleeding time can go up. So bleeding time is a measure of platelet function. And even though we talk about it being a measure of platelet function, conditions where you have a reduced number of platelets, okay, like thrombocytopenia, so you could also say it's a measure of uh, platelet function and also platelet number. So both things can affect your bleeding time. So your bleeding time would go up in um, disseminated intravascular coagulation because it is a problem with platelets. If you think if it's a problem with platelets, your bleeding time can go up. Your thrombin time is an interesting concept. So thrombin time is, if you like, in simple terms, is the time needed for thrombin to convert fibrinogen to fibrin, okay? So it doesn't measure your intrinsic or extrinsic pathways at all. It only, um, if you like, reflects this process. So. The test is affected by only a few things, which narrows your differential down if you know what thrombin time is. This test is affected by the amount of fibrinogen in your body. So if you have got low fibrinogen levels, your thrombin time will go up. So low fibrinogen levels will cause your thrombin time to go up because it's the time taken for thrombin to convert fibrinogen to fibrin. If you've got low fibrinogen, you've got less fibrinogen for thrombin to try and convert to fibrin. Um, sometimes other things such as the presence of heparin can affect it, but for the large part, I would remember that thrombin time is the time required for thrombin to convert fibrinogen to fibrin and is therefore affected by low fibrinogen levels. Remember in this condition, because you are forming lots of fibrin, okay, because you are forming lots of fibrin, 
your fibrinogen, okay, fibrinogen. Fibrinogen is the precursor to fibrin. So you need to remove the ogen group to convert fibrinogen to fibrin. And that's done by thrombin. So that explains why your fibrinogen levels are low in DIC because you're forming lots of um, fibrin and the immediate precursor is fibrinogen. So you're exhausting your body's stores of fibrinogen. So that's why that's good at. So we've explained so far why your bleeding time goes up in DIC, why your thrombin time goes up and your fibrinogen goes down. Remember, if your thrombin time goes up, your fibrinogen goes down as a rule. Prothrombin time that measures your extrinsic pathway will go up and APTT that measures your intrinsic pathway will both go up because you are consuming all of your clotting factors to form these clots. As we said, bleeding time is a largely historical test but can still pop up in exams. It's largely been replaced by something called platelet function assay. Okay. So question number two, we have got a four-year-old boy um, is being seen as parents notice multiple bruises over limbs, trunk and back. He had a sore throat a few weeks previously, but is otherwise well. Past medical history wise, he's a known epileptic and is on lamotrigine, just because I've seen this used as a distractor. Examination is unremarkable other than atopic eczema. So what's the likely diagnosis? So multiple bruises over the limbs, trunk and back and had a sore throat a few weeks previously. Is it A, immune thrombocytopenia, B, non-accidental injury, C, Henoch-Schönlein purpura, D, von Willebrand disease, or E, disseminated intravascular coagulation? We've already, because he's a well child, we can rule out DIC, um, which was the answer to question number one. So of the ones that are left, the most likely diagnosis for case number two is ITP, previously called idi idiopathic, um, thrombocytopenic purpura um, but is now called immune because you know that 80% of people with this condition have um, antiplatelet antibodies detectable so it's immunoglobulin A mediated and you basically have antiplatelet antibodies that form an antibody platelet complex that is destroyed by the spleen it's benign and self-limiting and it follows a viral respiratory tract infection in most cases. Um, Lamotrigine can give you a rash, which is why it's a distractor in exams. Um, it tends to be an annular patch that tends to be hyperpigmented. So um, not like the, the lesions that have been described as multiple bruises over the limbs. The reason it's probably not Henoch-Schönlein purpura is because that tends to give you bruising and purpura in the lower limbs, but wouldn't really affect the trunk. Valproate, it's worth um, being aware of. Valproate can cause many side effects. Um, so you can remember this by remembering the letters of valproate. So valproate, okay, um, there's a really good mnemonic that is actually alproate. So valproate can cause um, appetite increase, so weight gain, so that's A. L stands for liver failure, P stands for pancreatitis, R stands for reversible hair loss, O for edema, A for ataxia, T is 
quite a few actually. So for tea, you've got three, so tri, three. Um, you've got teratogenicity, tremor and thrombocytopenia, and E is for encephalopathy, and that's normally due to hyperammonemia. So thing to remember, valproate can drop your platelet count. So patients can have thrombocytopenia secondary to, um, to sodium valproate, but they're not, they're on lamotrigine, which is that's a distractor. So you get antiplatelet antibodies that leads to a sensitized platelet. Um, you get binding of sensitized platelet to a macrophage and you get destruction in the reticular endothelial um, system in the spleen and the liver. Question number three, a two-year-old child is referred to the health visitor with a right-sided periorbital bruise. Mother does not know how it happened. Older sibling um, reports may have fallen out of bed. Child is quiet, but aside from the bruise, examination is unremarkable. Same five answers. A, immune thrombocytopenia that we've already talked about. B, non-accidental injury slash trauma. C, HSP. D, von Willebrand disease. And E, uh, disseminated intravascular coagulation. If we deliberately phrase these questions, we've already covered DIC and immune thrombocytopenia. Immune thrombocytopenia, otherwise well child, um, normally with a preceding sore throat. This probably is accidental slash non-accidental injury. So we screen children for coagulopathy and unexplained bruising. Common sites are over bony prominences. Periorbital is less common as a site of accidental bruising. So you would think potentially is this non-accidental injury. Um, so yeah, question number four. Four-year-old girl is admitted to hospital with fever, bloody diarrhea and vomiting. She initially improved with fluids, but she, um, parents and nurses are worried because she's got a petechial rash and her face looks puffy. So is it A, immune thrombocytopenia, B, hemolytic uremic syndrome, C, HSP, D, von Willebrand disease, or E, disseminated intravascular coagulation? The answer for this one is hemolytic uremic syndrome. So hemolytic uremic syndrome um, causes a classical triad. So that's microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, thrombocytopenia, and renal failure. And you can actually explain all of those quite nicely. So it's caused by, um, <clears throat> it's caused by E. coli, um, zero, <clears throat> zero one five seven, one zero five seven, can remember, never remember which one it is, but don't worry too much. Just look for a 157 in there somewhere. Um, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia is a form of intravascular hemolysis, so within the blood vessel, and it's caused by fragmentation of red cells passing through abnormal arterioles. Arterioles are changed or made less favorable by depositing platelets and fibrin. So what happens here is you get, um, in hemolytic uremic syndrome, you get the production of a Shiga toxin. The Shiga toxin damages the lining of your capillaries. Your platelets clump um, in the area to stop blood loss and initiate healing. Platelets will form a mesh in capillaries. This damages red cells and prevents adequate blood flow to the affected organs. And this results in organ dysfunction or organ failure, okay? So platelets form a mesh in capillaries. 
This damages red cells and prevents adequate blood flow to the affected organs, resulting in organ dysfunction or failure. So why do you get renal failure? Because shiga toxin, platelet clumping, ischemia in the kidneys. Why do you get thrombocytopenia? Because as platelets try and pass through um, this capillary lining, you get shearing forces that can damage um, red cells and you also get platelet deposition. So um, hemolytic uremic syndrome is a cause of thrombocytopenia because of increased destruction of platelets. Okay. Um, and then we talked about the microangiopathic hemolytic anemia because there's a shiga toxin. So causes of thrombocytopenia, so of a low platelet count, are broadly increased destruction. So that can be things like, we've talked about two of them, disseminated intravascular coagulation and hemolytic uremic syndrome. Okay. Um, they're two really important things. And sequestration, so sometimes you can get it in sickle cell disease. A sequestration crisis can drop your platelet count. Um, also, immune thrombocytopenia. So we've already talked about disseminated intravascular coagulation, hemolytic uremic syndrome, and immune thrombocytopenia as three things that can drop your platelet count, and that all as a result of increased destruction. Okay. So question number five, you've got a six-year-old boy. Um, this six-year-old boy presents with a urticarial rash to his lower limbs and purpura. There's colicky abdominal pain, but is otherwise well. On examination, he's got swelling of his ankles bilaterally and a maculopapular rash to legs and buttocks with some purpura. Okay. So what might be going on here? If we go back to it, we've got um, ITP, Hemolytic uremic syndrome, Henoxion and purpura, von Willebrand disease, and disseminated intravascular coagulation. In this case, we have got Henoxion and purpura, that is a form of IgA vasculitis, okay, that will tend to give you um, a rash to the lower limbs. You can get purpura and petechiae. Colicky abdominal pain, so if you have abdominal pain, colicky abdominal pain, purpura, and arthralgia, you begin to think that this might be a case of Henoxion-Lyme purpura. Okay, so you might think that this is Henoxion-Lyme purpura. Okay, so that is your um, your IgA vasculitis. So those have been the first um, five cases. <coughs> Got a few more cases to go, and these are going to be more focused on clotting. Question number six, a seven-year-old um, attends with epistaxis, so with nosebleeds. Um, they have some quite scattered, non-specific bruising. And both him and his sister have a tendency to bruise with quite minimal um, trauma. They have not much contact with their dad, but mum remembers that he had problems with suffering from bruising. So what's your diagnosis going to be? So it's A, a, a uh, immune thrombocytopenia, B, hemolytic uremic syndrome, C, Henoxion and purpura, D, von Willebrand disease, or E, disseminated intravascular coagulation. So it's worth at this point to explore 
how we form clots and therefore what might predispose us to bleeding. So we've got initialization of a clot. So if we have vascular damage, so imagine you were to cut yourself, we then have your subendothelium being exposed. So that's your initialization. You've then got primary hemostasis, that is when you get platelet adhesion. So it's when platelets bind to the subendothelium. Platelet aggregation, which is different, so this is when platelets clump together. And it stands to reason there's no point in having a big platelet clump if there's nowhere to attach to on the uh, wall of the blood vessel. So that's why adhesion is before aggregation. And then you get the formation of a platelet plug when these platelets aggregate together. And then secondary hemostasis is when we have sta stabilization of a clot, stabilization of fibrin. So in this case, this boy is most likely, I mean, we'll talk about the uh, blood test you might want to do, but most likely has von Willebrand. So von Willebrand disease um, is a problem with von Willebrand factor. Von Willebrand factor is, has two main roles. It um, supports platelet adhesion and also has a role with secondary role with aggregation, but it basically facilitates platelets to bind to the subendothelium, which is an important part of primary hemostasis, and protects factor eight from degradation in the plasma. So number one, platelet adhesion, number two, uh, protecting factor eight. So if factor eight is involved in the intrinsic pathway and platelets are involved in primary hemostasis, it would stand to reason that we can see um, problems with your APTT and potentially your bleeding time. Because APTT measures your intrinsic pathway, factor eight's involved in your intrinsic pathway. It also, um, von Willebrand factor prevents degradation of factor eight, which is your bit in the um, clotting cascade in your APTT. Also, platelet adhesion. So we have potentially problems with bleeding time and APTT that makes it stand out in exam questions. So there is overlap between the two, but if you think primary hemostasis, so problems with platelets, um, you get mucocutaneous bleeding and epistaxis, so nose bleeding. Um, can present with menorrhagia, um, easy bruising and petechiae for primary. For problems with secondary hemostasis, um, you tend to get delayed bleeding rather than immediate bleeding. And you get deep tissue bleeding, so bleeding into joints, uh, hematomas and hemoarthroses. So that's your primary and your secondary uh, hemostasis. This is a perfect example of how hemophilia uh, a and von Willebrand disease present differently because von Willebrand disease is a problem with um, platelet adhesion so it affects primary hemostasis but also has a bit of a role in secondary hemostasis as well um, with protecting the degradation of factor eight. The reason hemophilia you'll tend to bleed into joints is because that's a problem of secondary hemostasis so the coagulation cascade. The most common type of von Willebrand disease is type one which is inherited autosomal dominant. Um, so would stand to reason if dad has got the gene and um, say mum is recessive, there is a risk of 
children being affected because um, if it was X-linked, um, then that would probably be less likely because you've got the son and the daughter being affected. So autosomal dominant in thrombolibam disease. Uh, so this is when you get a reduced quantity of thrombolibam factor. So this is why you can use something like desmopressin. So desmopressin increases your production of thrombolibam factor. So if you give someone desmopressin, your thrombolibam factor levels go up. Um, so it's great for type 1 because they have a quantitative defect. So you are basically asking them to produce more um, thrombolibam factor. Thrombolibam factor that is functionally fine. Type 2 and type 3, you tend to use um, desmopressin less because then you get creeping in qualitative defects of thrombolibam factor. You don't want to produce more defective, uh, more of the defective thrombolibam factor. Really good for type one, and it um, desmopressin works by stimulating your vivid pallad bodies, your endothelial cells, to produce more thrombolibam factor. So, again, we've talked about type one. It's the most common type. It's autosomal dominant inherited. So, to kind of talk about a few. Um, other cases and what might think. So I'm going to talk now about um, coagulation problems. So if a patient had a normal bleeding time, a normal platelet count, a normal APTT, a normal thrombin time, and normal fibrinogen, but an elevated prothrombin time, the most common cause of this would be warfarin. So that's certainly what you should think. There are other things, but for exams, Think if someone has got an elevated prothrombin time and everything else is normal, think warfarin. If someone has got a normal bleeding time, normal platelet count, normal prothrombin time, normal thrombin time and fibrinogen, we know that thrombin time is unlikely to be abnormal if the fibrinogen is normal. We know that prothrombin time looks at your extrinsic pathway and that's normal in this case. Platelet count is normal and bleeding time is normal, so it's probably not a platelet problem. But APTT is up. So things that you want to be thinking in this situation with APTT up on its own, with no effect with bleeding time, is you probably want to think, is this haemophilia A? Remember that you can get a false positive APTT um, being elevated in antiphospholipid syndrome because... Uh, part of the APTT test involves phospholipids. So if you produce antiphospholipid antibodies, um, you can have a prolonged APTT. So history of recurrent miscarriages, um, potentially an association with lupus in the question, and an elevated APTT on its own, you think antiphospholipid syndrome. Remember that your factor deficiencies of factor 8, 9, 11 or 12 can all give you an elevated APTT. So haemophilia A or B um, and antiphospholipid antibodies. Remember that heparin can increase your APTT as well. So just have an idea of some of the abnormal blood tests that you can get. So we've gone through example number one, which was just elevated prothrombin time on its own that we said was more likely to be because of warfarin therapy. We then talked about example number two in um, our coagulation examples, 
was an elevated APTT with everything else normal. We talked about that could be haemophilia A or B. You can get it with heparin and you can get a false positive antiphospholipid antibody. And any of those factors, 8, 9, 11 or 12, any of those that are deficient will give you, because they're all involved in the intrinsic pathway, would prolong your APTT. If your bleeding time was normal and your platelet count was normal, but your prothrombin time was elevated, your APTT was elevated. So you're thinking this is a problem with extrinsic and intrinsic pathway and your thrombin time had gone up as well. You would potentially be thinking about problems with multiple clotting factors. Okay. If bleeding time was up and APTT was up with everything else normal, we've already covered it from Willeban disease. Your bleeding time goes up because if it's a, it's a platelet problem, so it's a primary hemostatic problem, but also your APTT goes up because it protects factor VIII from proteolytic degradation. So really, if your APTT is up and your bleeding time's up, you've got to think from Willeban factor. Um, platelet count can be low in some subtypes, but again, for the most common presentation, which is what you need to know for exams, APTT up, intrinsic, problem, factor eight, bleeding time elevated, platelet problem, platelet adhesion is an important role of um, von Willebrand factor. So if um, the next one that we'll probably go for is what would we be thinking if um, your bleeding time was elevated, your platelet count was low, your prothrombin time, APTT, thrombin time all up, and fibrinogen had gone down and your D-dimer was elevated, we'd be thinking disseminated intravascular coagulation, using up all of your clotting factors. So we'd be thinking disseminated intravascular coagulation. So all of them, all the clotting times would become prolonged and your platelet count and fibrinogen would go down. That's been our clotting cascade examples that we've covered. Haemophilia is an X-linked condition, X-linked recessive, so it's inherited differently from um, von Willebrand. If you want to know about the significance of how conditions are inherited, I'd recommend um, listening to the genetics podcasts on inheritance, where we talk about haemophilia A, um, and we talk about von Willebrand disease in terms of their different inheritance. Haemophilia A is a deficiency of coagulation factor 8. Haemophilia B, also known as Christmas disease, that will probably be in the BMJ quiz this year, is deficiency of coagulation factor 9. So if we summarise what we've done today, we've been able to distinguish between primary and secondary disorders of haemostasis. Primary, platelet problem. Secondary, problem with the coagulation cascade. We've also talked about being able to confidently interpret screening tests in suspected coagulopathy. And the third thing, be aware that bleeding time may appear in exams, but has largely been replaced by platelet function assays. Okay. The most common acquired form of bleeding disorder is liver disease. Remember your liver produces fibrinogen. So if you've got synthetic liver failure, your fibrinogen goes down. What have we learned today? What happens when your fibrinogen goes down? 
if thrombin time goes up. Okay, so fibrinogen is really, really important. So if your fibrinogen count goes down, your thrombin time goes up. And we also said that your prothrombin time and your APTT will go up because all your clotting factors in adults are synthesized in the liver. So if you get liver disease, your clotting times become prolonged. But bleeding time is normal, um, at least in the early stages before you get splenic involvement. And when you get splenic involvement, you can get um, low platelet counts. You can get thrombocytopenia with liver failure. Hemophilia, APTT will go up uh, because it's a problem with factor eight and haemophilia A factor nine um, and haemophilia B both involved in the intrinsic pathway. From Rillaband disease, we tend to prolong your bleeding time, um, can prolong your bleeding time, and APTT will go up. Which is often a giveaway. Look for mucocutaneous bleeding, excessive menstrual bleeding, and nosebleeds in von Rillaband disease, and bleeding into joints for haemophilia. DIC or your clotting times will tend to go up, including your bleeding time because of platelet consumption. And fibrinogen would tend to go down as it's consumed in forming fibrin, fibrin clots. Remember your thrombin time is how long it takes you to convert fibrinogen to fibrin. So if you have low fibrinogen, um, it takes longer to produce a decent amount of fibrin or detect part of fibrin. Um, so your thrombin time goes up. Thrombocytopenia, all your other parameters are normal and your bleeding time goes up. And your platelet time goes down uh, your platelet count sorry goes down another giveaway so that has been today's session on pediatric hematology on clotting the next podcast will be how to approach a child with microcystic anemia thank you very much for listening